I think what I learned in, you know, in that process in Seattle as we kind of started really small and kind of grew was that you know, your, your sports tech and your partner should always kind of help you answer what that next question you have to answer might be. You're listening to Sports Tech Feed, the global sports technology podcast. Hello and welcome to Sports Tech Feed. I'm your host, Thomas Loams. Great to have you join us again this week. On today's show, we have David Tenney, the inaugural high-performance director of Major League Soccer Expansion Club, Austin FC. David joins Austin FC after three years as the first high-performance director of the NBA's Orlando Magic. During his stewardship of the Magic's high-performance department, the team made back-to-back playoff appearances for the first time since 2012. Prior to his time in the NBA, David spent nine seasons with the Seattle Sounders back in the MLS. And while with the Sounders, the team won the MLS Cup, the US Open Cup four times, and made the MLS playoffs in nine consecutive years. In addition to his role at Austin FC, David also serves on the advisory board of Sports Innovation Texas, a new not-for-profit initiative launching this week, realizing the potential for Central Texas, including Austin, to be a leading global hub for sports innovation and technology. This episode is particularly close to my heart, obviously being an adopted son of Austin. Uh, Really excited for what Austin FC is doing as an expansion club, uh, and certainly David's uh, expertise in this area in growing high-performance programs and cultures, leveraging technology from scratch into uh, something that is really really a winning program. So uh, we'll dive straight into it. I'll be at the end of the interview to share a few final thoughts. If you would like to find out more about what we do at Sports Tech World Series, please go to our website, sportstechworldseries.com. You can also subscribe for our newsletter there and stay up to date with everything happening in the world of sports tech. So, David Tenney, High Performance Director at Austin FC. Welcome to Sports Tech Feed. Great to have you on the show. Thanks for having me on. It's a pleasure. You've had quite a career across uh, different sports, different levels, different types of clubs, all in that, that kind of high performance space. And that's really the theme that we're going to talk about today. So, I mean, arriving in Austin FC, obviously in the middle of a pandemic, um, brand new club, what a set of circumstances, but can you dive into a little bit of how does it compare to building a high performance program from scratch at somewhere like Austin FC as compared to coming to an established program like your time in Orlando? Well, first, I mean, uh, there's probably lots of similarities with, you know, kind of what happened in, in Seattle, you know, my time in Seattle and, you know, I kind of went into Seattle in 2009 um, during their expansion year as well. So, I mean, that, that experience has been great for me um, to kind of draw from, but yeah, I, I think it'd be interesting, you know, the, the interesting thing to note in all this is that I actually would say that I went to Orlando probably underestimating the advantages of kind of creating things organically and, you know, kind of building something from the ground up like we did in Seattle. And I, I think I didn't really appreciate until I probably got a year into my time in Orlando, like, wow, this is, this is different. Like it's different going into an organization trying to change things and change people's perceptions and, and create new process and implement new technology and get the athletes to, to buy into these new way of doing things in comparison to being at that time in Seattle and starting small and then adding a layer and then and then as questions arise or there's there's the next path you want to go down adding a layer um and and, you know over then four or five six years you've i always use the term kind of organically grown this system in response to that environment Mm. um, that that was great and it and you know by the time you know i left seattle after after nine years it felt like you know, things were humming along. We had this kind of system where every year we would we would evaluate 
drop away 15% of what we did, bring 15% in new um, in response to what new questions we had and, um, and, and what we weren't, what we thought was important that we were maybe recording or tracking and it wasn't important. Um, and that seemed really easy. Then you go into Orlando where there's a, a you know, kind of a set way of doing things. And even though you know, it was new president with Jeff Weltman and you know, new, new uh, management, um, you still had a group of staff and a group of players and a group of coaches that first year that they were used to doing things a certain way. Right. Mm. And so, um, do, do yeah, you exacerbated by the MLS to the NBA in terms of budgets and size available um, between the two? Do you do you think that the the, the kind of established versus the the, the startup yeah. essentially the startup culture yeah. and that was it was that or, or not so much a factor? Now maybe a little bit. I mean, the interesting thing is you go in the NBA and then from a budget and resources standpoint, like it's almost unlimited. But you have to win over the people and the culture and the organization to you know kind of incorporate and implement some of your some of your things and you know and, and maybe you know I think you know probably now after having left Orlando the group that's that's been there now has has now they're in their process of getting you know the group incorporated into player tracking and heart rate monitoring and some of the stuff you know that we were instituting at the time that I'm sure now the players are more adapted to. But again, we're talking about the fourth year, yeah. right? So I think, you know, it's I think it's less about leagues at times, and really more about how do you how do you have an organization or team adopt sports science, sports tech, data, data as part of the decision making. Um, what what does that process look like? Especially if you've started as you know as a kind of um, organization that was not used to making decisions or tracking certain things or use, utilizing certain technology. Yeah. So it, it, was that part of the appeal of coming into Austin FC? It was, I guess, a, a clean slate. Um, well, first I, I missed soccer very, very much. So I think that was first and foremost, um, uh, you know, I, I dipped my toe in the water of the NBA and, you know, it, and it was, I mean, it's, it's exciting and, you know, but it's a lot of games and it's a lot of travel and, and it's a lot of time at arenas waiting for games to start and driving to and from the airport. And, um, and if you don't really love the game, it, it's, um, you know, it's, it, it, it can be a grind. Right. And I found maybe again, like I underestimate, I think how much I loved soccer, which was a sport I grew up playing and coaching and, studying you know for years and years and years and so there definitely i had this like urge to really get back to you know kind of the sport that i truly love if you're going to invest that much time especially being away from your family as much as you are you really have to love it yeah um, and then um you know and and then with a head coach and josh wolf who talked to me about you know kind of his his concept and again he is a person having come from the u.s national team and columbus crew and people like Steve Tajan and Darcy Norman that were used to using data to make decisions, wanting to use sports science. You know, he uses the term high performance, you know, in terms of his high performance model is very important in how he guides things in the day-to-day process. And that's also all you can ask as a practitioner is that you have a head coach that you can work with that that's relies heavily on what you might generate on a daily basis to make their decisions. And so that yeah. was also a very, really important piece and then obviously just the city of austin which is a great city and 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 
along with being a great city, also being a place that now embraces technology um, and, and has really grown you know, within, within this country as a, as a tech central you know, kind of hub as well. So. Yeah, certainly. And it's great to have you on the advisory board for Sports Innovation Texas. So that yep. initiative launching now and, and really growing Austin as a global sports innovation hub ecosystem it's got all those things i mean i can go on for days as a <laughs> as a transplant as a as a as a, a adopted son to um to austin but it's certainly one of those cities that has the passion for sports but then also has um a real innovative ecosystem and and i guess to, to your point has um has people that work here and, and are passionate about it um and from the leadership down really believe in it really really believe in the value that it can bring so it's not an uphill battle to, yeah, push the envelope, be innovative, you know, yeah. be tech forwards, all that kind of stuff. So following on from that, how do you choose technology partners when you're, because obviously you can't, there are vendors out there that, that help you do this. You have the team, the team that you hire and, and the people and the personnel, but uh, the, the tech partners are a very important part of it. Yeah. How do you choose between those, those vendors? Um. Yeah, I think, you know, well, I think what I learned in, you know, in that process in Seattle as we kind of started really small and kind of grew was that, you know, your, your sports tech and your partner should always kind of help you answer what that next question you have to answer might be, right? So, um, you know, I think we are one of the first, potentially the first team in MLS to to utilize GPS technology in Seattle and, you know, about 2011, 2012 in that time. And, you know, and we, at that point in that organization, you know, one of the really important questions are, okay, we have the players, they're wearing heart rate monitors on every practice and we're getting this kind of, you know, measurement of internal load every day in practice, but that's not telling the whole story. We really need to know how much mechanical work and how much running they're actually doing. Like that's the next most important question we have to answer. That's the next piece of, kind of sports tech that we, that we need to utilize, um, to really answer our questions. So, um, you know, I think as we're choosing providers, you, you know, hopefully you're having a sense of what the next question is you want to answer and then, and then what technology, which, you know, which group in that area helps you answer those questions best, depending on how you do things. Um, and, you know, and again, there's lots of very, very good um, providers in each area of tech, whether it's wearables, whether it's force plate technology, you know, whether it's you know, biomechanical analysis, there's, there's obviously multiple very good partners. Um, um, but, you know, typically you, you do develop relationships with different groups and, you know, you know, a group like Catapult, obviously I've got, you know, good relationship with over, over, you know, almost a decade now, um, you know, good relationship with people like Omega Wave that I've used for over a decade. And so I think as you, as you go through, you know, and you learn how to answer the questions you want and you kind of, you start walking this path with certain providers in certain areas and you, and you know, you know what each of these providers strengths are, but also know their weaknesses, you know, mm. but, um, you know, I think you just know, you know, there, there is a certain level of comfortability you have you know as you go into a new place and think okay i need this tool this tool and this tool because these are going to be the questions that i have to answer and these for me right now are the these are the tools that help me do that the best yeah and how do you go about finding i guess what's next is that a, is that a process of um just amongst the industry obviously 
um, the Seattle Sounders setting up the analytics conference? Is it, is it forums yeah. like that? Is it events? Like how do you, I guess, stay at the cutting edge um, beyond just what your existing partners are bringing to you? Yeah. I mean, I think that goes back to, again, to, I keep harping on like, the, what's the next question, right? Like, so then what happened from, you know, kind of from the GPS is what's the next question. GPS gives you the amount of work that your own team performs and practice or within a game, right? But what's the next question? The next question would be what's, what's the opponent doing and how is, what's the interaction between how much your opponent works and runs with how much you work and run. And so then the next, the next layer and the next question, okay, now we need to go out and find uh, some sort of, you know, potentially optical tracking solution, you know, and now, you know, MLS has adopted both MLS and NBA are using, um, second spectrum, you know, so you have second spectrum, you know, optical tracking that also has a media component in both, but they you know, both leagues have adopted that. And now you're looking at, okay, this is, this is, this is the work we did. And maybe we did this, this much work because this is what the opponent did. You know, and I think just, just, staying on top of that, right? Staying on top of, of, um, as, as you're getting the answers of what you want, there's always that one piece there that like, you know, maybe gives you a better indication of, of your own team's performance. Right. And yeah. so, you know, it's a, it's a balance of what you need to know versus also knowing the market and what different people are trying. Um, and then again, I think just, you know, I, I do find that once you do kind of, when, once you kind of are known as someone that is can be an early adopter, you also tend to attract early adopters in the market as well, because there are so many companies out there and so many startups and so many smart people that are trying different things that you do, you know, you do kind of end up kind of running into people that, you know, do want to ask that next question of, of um, what might be out there. So. Yeah. The ones that are, that, that are going to be more, know you're going to be more responsive to, yeah. solutions whatever that is trying things yeah yeah definitely so is there much um is there much i guess snake oil that you come across is that that's something that um you kind of see the, the early warnings like how much is is kind of looked at especially with new that cutting edge technology because i think that's something that a lot of people on the team side are not not as willing to take risks or maybe not take risks is the, is the right term, but not as willing to trial things because yeah. there's concern that this is too good to be true. It's going to waste valuable resources. It's essentially not what it says it, it is on the box. How do you kind of avoid that? How do you balance between the two of being cutting edge, but then also making sure that you're not uh, wasting your time or, or the team's time? Yeah. I mean, I think first and foremost, you don't always, believe everything you read I, you know i think you you want to be it is interesting like you're i think you're always in our role you're always in kind of this balance between being an innovator and still also being a researcher right yeah. so um innovator will try things and 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 um want to always push the boundaries of what people are doing but then you do also have to have you know, another part of you that's the researcher that, you know, is this, is this valid? Is this reliable data? And just because this, this platform, this technology, this device is spitting out, generating this data that, you know, you, you should bring a natural skepticism to that. Right. And I think, you know, it's, I wouldn't say, 
I mean, I've, I think I know enough, you know, really good people in the industry to say, I don't know if there's snake oil salesmen as much as there's people that are really trying to push the boundaries and, you know, and, and are excited about their product. And they might, sometimes you, you, you know, people put a product out there before they really know what the data means. Right. And I think that's what you see sometimes is you see these people create this technology that it's, it's generating some data they might not even totally know what it means at times um and maybe sometimes it's only two three four years after it's been used regularly that people know what's meaningful and, and what's not meaningful yes yeah. so. which come back it comes back to what you were saying which is you need to know what's the next question what's the right question yeah. because there's no shortage of data and there's no shortage of ways to gather that data and obviously with biomedical biomedical stuff coming in um and all that, that that's, that's just opening up an entire new realm yeah. of what you can measure. Uh, so following from that, what area have you seen the biggest progress in, in five years in terms of meaningful change um, in the industry um, from you know, 2015 to 2020? Yeah, I mean, I think, I think, again, when it comes to the player tracking side, it's a really interesting space because if you, if you would have asked people let's say five years ago as wearables were becoming more prominent and some of the data you pick up from wearables, you know, in terms of some accelerometry data um, can be very granular and give you, you know, kind of lots of rich data. Um, and so if you would have asked people, Hey, what's, what's the future? They might say wearables are going to become, um, they're going to become better. They're going to become smaller. They make them more accurate. And, camera systems are going to be out because everything's going to be on the more wearable side. Mm. And now camera systems are becoming cheaper. They're becoming, you know, kind of more readily available. The technology from optical tracking is also becoming better at the same time. Um, and so now, Hey, now if you have optical tracking, now we can capture both teams. We can capture the ball instead of having to put a chip in the ball, the camera system can actually capture what the ball is doing. And, and, you know, now, now maybe it's, now maybe it's optical tracking over wearables. And so that's what's, you know, what I find interesting in the space is they both have their advantages. Yep. Being able to put a device on someone is probably may always give you some data that you cannot get with a camera system. However, with a camera system, you can always capture both teams and the ball as well, which gives you a rich data set that just wearables for your own team on, 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 you know, on its own will not give you. Mm. So I think like that's, living in that space and then also living in that space in two different sports has been interesting, you know, kind of that wearable versus optical tracking and, you know, kind of the advantages and disadvantages to both. Yeah. And, and, and the things around physical excitation, um, cameras can't, can't get that, you know, you can't, you can't put a camera on someone and get basic information around heart rate and things like that. Yeah. You know, it just, it just won't happen. But then, what's happening with the optical tracking systems and especially underpinned by technologies like um, 5G in terms of yep. super fast internet is that you can process that data in real time, yep. get it back to the bench, to the, the coach's box, wherever that is. Um, so it's not, the, it's not necessarily that the optical tracking systems are getting better. It's a lot of the underpinning, they are, but yep. it's yep. the underpinning technology that is allowing it um, to be more meaningful. So you don't have to wait a, wait a week or a day, an hour even, um, for that feedback. Yeah, correct. Yeah, I mean, it used to be, you know, you, you would have an op optical tracking um, system running for your game. And, you know, you're really lucky, you know, when we were in Seattle at the time and we used Metrica as our optical tracking provider. And 
we were really lucky that, you know, it was, everything was processed in Spain. And so in Seattle, 11 o'clock game, we could have our, our data the next morning because Spain was, you know, nine hours ahead of us. And so yeah. they could, they could run all the data and uh, create your reports by the next day versus, you know, now with uh, some of the optical tracking, and as you're saying, the processing speed that that's a, uh, the lag time is in seconds now instead of, you know, having, you know, six, seven, eight hours until everything is, is up and running. So, yeah. And, and things that were automated in air quotes, which meant that it was a room of coders um, it, off, yeah. off door somewhere, <laughs> just working all night on footage, just, you know, uh, just, just bashing away the keyboard, categorizing stuff now can actually be done by computers is genuinely automated and then potentially checked over by a person. So it, it means that turnaround time, um, is so much quicker. So it's interesting to see under the hood of a lot of these technologies, um, how they are kind of living up to yeah. maybe a couple of years ago, they were saying that on the marketing side, whereas now it's, it really is um, getting there and, and things around artificial intelligence, um, really pushing that envelope. So from that, where do you see it going in the next five years? I mean, both in terms of hopes, aspirations, where do you want it go? Where would you say, is, where, do, where is it predicted to go in terms of, advances in in different parts of um of high performance yeah and i was going to say as well i mean i think that the um you know kind of the the athlete monitoring system uh industry now this ams platforms is called the other one that's kind of so rapidly evolving you know because what's happening is now most teams are adopting some series of technologies right and generating you know data from GPS, heart rate, wellness surveys, you know, force plate data, um, all these kind of different places, and they're all aggregated in some sort of a platform, we'll call it AMS platform. Um, and and there is definitely kind of this like holy grail of like how are we, how are we storing this? How are we visualizing this? How are we analyzing this data? Can we do some sort of predictive algorithms around this data, some sort of AI, can we create an injury prediction model? Can we, can we, you know, predict performance? And um, I'm not sure we're really there yet, or if we will kind of, or, or again, or if we're asking the right questions, because then it does come down to, you're trying to aggregate all of your data into one place to make sure you can answer the questions you need to answer. Right? Yeah. And so I think, you know, what's happened is, Lots of really smart people have, have, have created these AMS platforms to try to um, try to help people aggregate their data in one place um, and answer a whole lot of questions. But every organization has very specific questions they might ask that are all kind of subtly different. Yep. And so then what are, what's the kind of the flexibility of each platform um, and, you know, and, and making sure, um, you know, I guess you'd say making sure you, you can answer the questions you want without trying to, you know, drink water out of, out of a hose, you know, fire hose type concept where there's just so much information coming at you that, you know, uh, an average coach or, you know, or medical staff person may not know how to, you know, manipulate the, the information to answer the right question. Yeah. 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 I, I've definitely seen the kind of the, the raw version of a lot of those AMS systems. Um, when they they haven't been customized as well, yeah. uh, and it, it's like the trading floor at um, you know stock exchange. It's just reams of numbers and graphs and across screens and things like that. And you go, how do you present that to a coach? Yeah. Um, it, it's it, it becomes uh, more trouble than it's worth. 
Um, and, that's it. and it's rapidly evolving too. Like I do think coaches are getting better looking at data as well. So they're more comfortable looking at things. And, you know, I mean, I, it's one of the things I've already seen, you know, coming into Austin and having coaches that are used to looking at data. And also, I mean, the same in the NBA. One of the unique experiences about the N NBA is that basketball coaches are just used to looking at uh, paper with a table of numbers, right? Because that's what they do every time out. They're given this updated stat sheet with the table of a bunch of numbers that they're fine with, you know, kind of versus, you know, I think in soccer, you throw a table of numbers in front of a lot of coaches and they just don't know how to make mm -hmm. sense of it because it's, it's too much information within, you know, one, one, uh, one sheet. Um, and I've already seen, you know, as, as now we're in 2020 and I think people are used to looking at tracking data and wellness data and, and, and um, game specific statistics, um, performance analysis that they're more used to seeing, a, a, you know, a, a paper or a PDF full of, numbers and you know and so now all of a sudden we can we can be a little bit more complex with some of the things we're trying to you know kind of pull out of that data do you see that with players as well the players are now used to for most of their professional life they've been surrounded yeah. by sports science data is that something that they're a lot more comfortable with i guess working with coaching staff on on some of those metrics i think there's two things i think players are getting used to having to, you know, use technology from the time they're in college where by the time they're a professional, they're, they, they know that whatever they're doing is generating lots of data and, you know, mm -hmm. the really smart ones want to use that to help them get better. Yeah. One. And then two, I also think they also realize that teams are putting in place things that help generate lots of data and there's some privacy issues around mm -hmm. that and they want to make sure that they're, data is secure and, and they'll ask probably the right questions to make sure that data is being used in the right way. And there's kind of more of a, a savviness of, you know, I know I'm generating X amount of data for you on a daily basis. And um, where's that going? Who is seeing that? Um, uh, can I make sure it's stored in the right place? And, you know, they're, they're, they're far more aware of the fact of they've got all this data out there. So, yeah, 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 and probably tracking their own data as well. I mean, we had Will Armour, the founder of Whoopon, a couple of weeks ago, was talking about their athlete investors, and it was um, like some Patrick Mahomes and a, and a whole host of high-profile athletes, but they weren't on board as uh, kind of brand partners. It wasn't like a, hey, use my thing because, you know, and then I'll pay you X amount. It was they were using it to track their health and their wellness, and then when the opportunity came to invest, they came along and, and put their money yeah. there. So it's it was something that they saw the value of being very, very um, on top of their health and yeah. doing that through tracking it, insights, and then obviously the the back end of that, it's recommendations um, because you know data without a, a follow up and a, and a and a prompt is 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 kind of worthless. As yeah, it's, again, it's all about how better <clears throat> yeah, and putting kind of connecting the dots better. Yeah. So, so back, back to like where you think the, the industry will go, want to go, is it some of that kind of that streamlining of the AMSs or, or where is it for the next five years? Um, yeah, I think, I think, you know, we're already seeing some of the camera systems around some of the biomechanical analysis. I think cameras, if you look at just, just purely from a technology standpoint, cameras are getting, better are you you're being able to see more um 
camera systems in terms of um, being able to do markerless biomech type analysis. Yep. You know, let's say two years ago, I didn't think we were there yet. And now again, as cameras are getting better, I think we're getting closer. Um, so there's definitely that side. And then there's the, um, the actually, what are we doing with all this data in terms of the AMS platform side integrating that? You know, I, I do still think if we're talking about the professional athlete side, um, yeah, I, I think people talk about sleep tracking a ton, um, off court, off field, you know, lifestyle type tracking yeah. has some inherent privacy issues. So yeah, I'm still not always totally sure that is going to take off as much as, uh, as um, some of the other sides. Cause I do think there is, um, I think people are, are aware of how much they can be tracked. And, you know, I would say when it comes to, you know, something like sleep tracking, there will be some athletes that will be really interested in it for themselves, but, but at a team level, I'm not sure yeah. if you will ever have full, you know, buy-in or should have full buy-in to something like sleep tracking for, for a whole team. Um, so, um, so I think we're, you know, having said that, you know, you have something like the aura ring, you know, which was really getting nighttime HRV and temperature and um, um, some of those, some of those metrics that are, that are very compelling that I'm not quite sure we really know totally what it means yet. Um, nighttime HRV and heart rate and how that changes over the course of, of the night and uh, um, whether that's actually analyzed at a team level or whether that's more third party that's looking at that, you know, you know clearly we're generating more data as, people and athletes sleep, but you know, how, how actionable we make that at a team level, I guess we'll have to, we'll have to see. Yeah, certainly. And that's a, I mean, that's, that's going to be a major issue of the next few years, especially data monetization is, is who owns the data and then yeah. some of that data outside of what's um, viewed by the teams. If the athletes own it, can they then sell that on or does that form part of their, um, their compensation? It's, I mean, yeah. that, that's a whole, that's a whole different kettle of fish. Um, and certainly something that, probably the lawyers are going to sink their teeth into um, <laughs> as much as the people who are working in, in high performance and actually on the coaching side. So um, definitely, definitely an interesting area. And as you said, yeah. camera tracking, um, a lot of the stuff that's happening with um, mobile is really interesting for me as well. Um, looking at, you know, outside of the top tier pro level, if you look into the grassroots, it's going well, a very robust um, automated camera system would be great, but financially it's just not going to work for some of these teams. So how can you work with AI powered um, camera, optical trap camera, camera systems, op optical tracking systems and use an, an iPhone camera, you know, a, a smartphone camera yeah. um, and get some, get some data off that. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And then I think like, you know, smaller wearable devices that are cheaper, that are non utilized to kind of, you know, some of the lower levels in youth and, high school and some places like that. And you're kind of seeing that already, this kind of proliferation of player tracking across all ages. I mean, you can now for your 12 year old son or daughter, open up a, uh, go to a website and get a GPS tracking device that they can wear on their own in practice, you know, which is something again, 10 years ago was, you know, unheard of. So, um, yeah. Yeah. Which I'm not sure if that many parents want that with the tracking, but that's, again, it's all those, it's all yep. those ethical issues that, that sit up, um, beside it, but it's certainly that the younger generations are want that, want that feedback, want to get better, 
are so much more adept at using technology and more comfortable with it that if given the opportunity, most of them will say, yes, definitely. So that's And are we living in a world, I mean, it's interesting, are we living in a world where a high school, you know, a, a college coach requests recruits wear certain devices or, or maybe, you know, high school players wear devices and send their data to college coaches to show this is what I do physically, you know, within games and this is my high speed running per game and this is the whatever peak speeds I hit and distance I cover in every match and, you know, uh, going back to, you know, kind of uh, data ownership, you know, I think because these devices are going to become more more readily available to high school students, you know, what what does that mean when it comes to kind of college recruitment and, you know, wanting most college, most college coaches have a clear idea physically of what, you know, sort of physical outputs they want. So, yeah, that's, that's, you know, kind of an interesting thing as well as they become cheaper and more affordable. Yeah, and hopefully that leads to better outcomes for athletes in terms of the ones that are deserving of the opportunity. Um, if you think about the kind of analytics revolution that came through sports, a lot of that was quantifying the unquantifiable. It was going, this person is good because of X, Y, Z. I have the data to prove it and be able to you know, give them um, the feedback they need to, to improve rather than purely going off gut and, and probably not getting the best from all of your athletes or not even recruiting the athletes that have the potential. So from my side, that's, you know, I'm really hopeful that it, it, it leads to um, better outcomes for athletes as well as the teams. Um, and it continues to do that. Yeah. And we haven't really talked about, I mean, obviously the whole technical side too, like everything's been physical. The technical side is equally, if not more so important and, you know, kind of certain wearable devices they now can look at, you know, passing a number of passes and how hard you can strike a ball and ball speed, you know, and, and, you know, kind of things like that. And, um, again, I think there is this, I am sometimes afraid in these discussions that there is a level of availability bias, you know, where you make decisions based on, you know, the data that's only available. And if it is only physical, you know, I, I think that that's, we can go down the rabbit hole of only, only accounting for this physical data when, the technical and skills, you know, are, are again equally or more important than what a player can just do physically. So. Yeah, certainly, and something that in um, in the optical tracking and AI coaching is is another area that that technology can help. But as you said, it's it's I guess from a technical point of view for the technical skills, um, yep. it hasn't quite been there yet. So that's that's another another fantastic area for growth and um, and opportunity. Yeah, yeah. But again, there's there's you know, now more camera systems in basketball that are, you know, can look at um, shot angle and release angle and release height and, you know, kind of some of these things that from a technical standpoint you can collect are getting like really good data sets on shooting ability. So, um, yeah. Well, yeah. thank you so much for your time today, David. Um, before we go, I've got one final question that we ask all our guests. What is your favorite sporting moment of all time? Hmm. I guess I would, I mean, my mine personally was uh, probably winning winning MLS Cup with Seattle in 2016, uh, which was you know, first time. I I would not have thought they would have been in uh, three MLS Cup finals after uh, 2016, but they're about to play in their their fourth MLS Cup final uh, on Saturday in a couple of days. Um, but yeah, we won MLS Cup in Toronto in penalty kicks without having a shot on goal uh, during the uh, 
course of the game, which is a unique thing to do. But um, no, I'm, I'm, I would say probably. Yeah. Oh, yeah, obviously. Well, I mean, hopefully soon we can, um, on behalf of all the Austinites, hopefully supersede that, that favourite sporting moment with a, an Austin FC uh, winning a championship. Yeah, let's hope so. I mean, we're all very excited about the direction of the club and, you know, the ambition of the club and the city and, you know, and all that. So, yeah, ready to get going. Well, great. Welcome to Austin. Great to have you involved. And thank you for being on Sports Tech Feed. Thanks, Thomas. There you have it. That was David Tenney, Director of High Performance for Austin FC. A pretty exciting period. Uh, they've got the MLS draft coming up this week. Fantastic new stadium, fantastic new high performance center. And obviously a lot of announcements coming through in Austin uh, in this week uh, with uh, Elon Musk, HP, Oracle all moving the headquarters. Um, so certainly in terms of an innovation and tech ecosystem, uh, it's continuing to go from strength to strength. And the, I would say, immense sporting culture that really pervades every level of the city, if you've ever been here, um, is continuing to grow with the expansion into MLS. So best of luck to David and the team uh, as they go through the draft process and then looking forward to next year and, and hopefully seeing a game and with the vaccine news as well. Who knows, we could be back in the stadiums, but that's the hope. I'm your host, Thomas Loams. If you have any questions, uh, please feel free to reach out. Thomas at sportstechworldseries.com. You can also contact me on LinkedIn. Until next week, I've been your host and looking forward to seeing you again on Sports Tech Feed.